All right, so we will not have the typical start music that we normally have on the We Tackle Life podcast because here's a little look behind the curtain. I am recording this Friday, August 27th edition of the We Tackle Life podcast from my radio studio where if I wanted to access the music, I suppose I could find it somewhere in the free bin on YouTube. But why don't we just get into it today by starting our podcast with a little preview of what's to come and then getting into the content and wishing you a happy final non-OSU football weekend. I know they play on Thursday night, but you'll be talking about it next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm counting Labor Day weekend as a football weekend because the season will have started. Shout out as we begin to our friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. That's where you order to get the best coffee from the best people with the best mission. Yes, Ecuador, Indonesia, Nicaragua, Thailand, Ethiopia, among the countries where they evaluate and purchase coffee that they ship to you free on orders of $30 or more. And you can get more coffee for your money when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Thrilled to have my partners at Hemisphere and thrilled to turn you on to outstanding coffee with an outstanding mission because the money that they purchase the coffee with is circulated throughout the local communities in those impoverished countries. And it does great things like plant churches and further ministry efforts, save women from human trafficking, and the like. So, order online, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, and you'll get great coffee and help them in their ministry. Okay, we start with Ohio State football. Name, image, and likeness, more of it. Five Buckeyes. I think it was five. Got cars. From Coughlin Chevrolet, Coughlin Chevrolet, I think it is. And I see this celebrated online, and Pete Thamel of Yahoo said this is a great thing. Um, is it? Is it a great thing? I don't begrudge kids getting cars, I guess. I try to look at life not just through what happens, but what might happen later as a result of what's happening and I guess when I saw the guys who received the cars, Mayan Williams, Haskell Garrett, Zach Harrison, C.J. Stroud, Chris Olave, uh, might have been might have missed one. I looked at that list and I thought, Mayan Williams, okay, Mayan Williams is getting a car and Master Teague isn't. Mayan Williams is getting a car, and Travion Henderson isn't. Travion Henderson is a big-time five-star freshman running back. Jack Sawyer is a big-time five-star freshman defensive lineman. Jack Sawyer has a truck from Mark Wahlberg Chevrolet. As far as we know, Travion Henderson does not have a vehicle yet. And Master Teague, who has put in more times and gained far more yards than Mayan Williams, has no discernible such benefit for his name, image, and likeness. And I just kind of wonder, like, are kids not going to be comparing what they get or don't get relative to players who may be astride them, behind them on the depth chart, and get certain things? So when Pete Thamel tweets, you know, it's a great thing, it's about time, I don't know. I just kind of wonder, does C.J. Stroud lose his car if he ceases to be the starting quarterback of the Ohio State Buckeyes? Which he will not. He will be the quarterback for the Buckeyes. He will be very good. 
He will be the first team All Big Ten quarterback. But I just don't know how this plays out down the line. I saw a story the other day on name, image, and likeness, and it was the most accurate headline I've seen yet. And it was something along the lines of the one thing that is true of name, image, and likeness is that nobody knows what's true about name, image, and likeness. And that is so true because we're giving cars and we're, I see the Alabama quarterback is selling NFTs. I know enough about cryptocurrency and NFTs to know that NFTs are non-fungible tokens. It's some kind of a little commemorative something or other. Luca Garza came up with these at Iowa after he finished his eligibility. It's a wild, man. I Maybe there will never be any end to the insatiable desire to ingratiate yourself to college athletes. But I really wonder, like five vehicles from Coglin Chevrolet are enough Buckeye fans going to go to Coglin Chevrolet in Pataskala and buy their car because they gave five free cars to Ohio State Buckeyes. Maybe, maybe. I got to assume that's the bet from Coglin Chevrolet. Uh, and you can do what you want to do at Coglin Chevrolet. I'm not saying you made an unwise move. You might have made a savvy move. You might have made a prescient move. You might be on the forefront on the cutting edge. I just find this to be an interesting test of team culture, giving cars to guys who are relatively modestly successful so far in their careers like Mayan Williams. By the way, does Garrett Wilson have a car yet? Because Chris Olave does. Julian Fleming does not, as far as I know. Um, Just saying. Just saying. Keep your eye on all this. Now, speaking of divas, we transition to the Cleveland Browns. And Odell Beckham Jr., and he is supposedly back participating in 11-on-11 drills, but I do not expect to see him Sunday night when the Browns conclude their exhibition season against the Atlanta Falcons. But we will, we learned today, see Baker Mayfield and select other veterans. Maybe Nick Chubb, maybe not, I don't know. But we will see Baker Mayfield. A lot of people are shocked by this. Oh my goodness, they're putting Baker Mayfield in jeopardy of getting hurt against the Atlanta Falcons. Well... I don't think Baker Mayfield has gotten to the point in his career yet where I could feel 100% certain that he wouldn't be better in the opener against Patrick Mahomes than he will be if he sees some actual live reps from teams that aren't ordered to keep their hands off of him when they rush him, as I assume Brown's defensive linemen are ordered to do. So I don't dislike, hate, or even moderately disagree with Kevin Stefanski's decision to put Baker Mayfield quote-unquote, in harm's way against the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday night. Jadavion Clowney is a guy that everybody wants to see play against the Falcons because, or not, not necessarily against the Falcons, but against the Chiefs. What will the new Browns defense look like against the Chiefs in the season opener? Can they get pressure on Patrick Mahomes? There's been much, much speculation about how great the Browns are going to be on defense this year because they have Clowney and they got Tack McKinney behind him and they've got John Johnson and they drafted Greg Newsome and they might have Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit and all these guys. And, oh, my goodness, don't forget uh, Jeremiah Awusu-Koromoa, J-O-K, don't forget him. 
Browns have all these tools. Joe Wood, their defensive coordinator, has all those tools. And maybe they do. And maybe they will be a nightmare matchup for teams. And maybe they will make life tough, even for the likes of Patrick Mahomes. But maybe fitting that they're playing in the state of Missouri, I need you to show me before I buy in. I've heard many, many times how good a certain Browns unit or team was going to be and have had my hopes dashed. So let's wait. Let's see. Will Clowney be healthy the entire season? You know how many surgeries Jadavian Clowney has had on his knee? Five. Five. Five surgeries on his knee. That's a lot of surgeries, man. Not much cartilage left in that knee. So we'll see what we see. But Jadavian Clowney is um, certainly a guy who could elevate the Browns to the next level because if you are double-teaming Miles Garrett, I presume you cannot double-team Jadavian Clowney, and maybe that'll free up some space for Tommy Togiai in the middle. But... The Browns' defense is awfully well-branded, well-labeled, um, highly thought of, but until mm, I see it, I want to see it until I get too excited. Now, you do not need to hear any further endorsement of my friends at Willis Spangler Starling than my personal experience with them, which is that they are awesome. Integrity, character, expertise, and an ability to relate, an ability to prioritize your case, an ability to understand that when you are in the midst of a legal action, it dominates your thoughts, and you need someone who can shepherd you through that process, someone who can educate you, someone who can keep you in the loop. I had an attorney one time that didn't keep me in the loop, and for years, literally years, I waited a date in court. One summer, I'm in Arizona on vacation, I get a call from said attorney. Hey, we're in court tomorrow in Northeast Ohio at nine in the morning. I'm like, it's four o'clock in the afternoon in Arizona. How do you presume there? Do you have a private jet you want to send for me? No. So we basically had to punt on the case. I'd waited and waited and waited on the court date. I had paid and paid and paid and paid. And because my attorney didn't keep me in the loop, it was over. That will not happen with Willis Spangler Starling. Whether your case is employment law, personal injury, social security disability, Will's estate planning, probate, they will take care of you and they will do a fantastic job representing you. They are located on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard, just north of Miller Run. Willis Spangler Starling is the firm, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Now from our department of even a blind man could have seen this coming. We bring you unflattering headlines from the sporting news and other assorted sources, CBS Sports, one of them, that Jacksonville Jaguar players are not enamored with Urban Meyer. Oh, shocker. I don't know about you, but I know that Urban Meyer's brilliance as a coach is that he wins. And what he does not do is spend any time at all worrying about whether the people he coaches like playing for him or not. This is, of course, a different deal than college where players are prisoner to you, particularly in Urban's time, not so much anymore because of the one-year free transfer eligibility rule that the NCAA has approved. But Urban never trifled with worrying about whether he was liked or popular. He just worried about whether he was winning, and he was a lot. So, 
he has apparently chafed some of the sensibilities of Jaguars veterans and some of the sensibilities of other reporters around the NFL who look at him refusing until this week to name Trevor Lawrence as his starter and go, what is he doing? He's a number one overall draft pick. These are college mind games he's playing. Yes, they are college mind games he's playing because guess what? His mind comes from the college ranks. I'm not surprised by this. I'm not surprised Urban's doing it. I'm not surprised that it does not land well with NFL types. I'm not surprised his players don't like it. We will see if Urban Meyer delivers victories. The one thing that the CBS Sports story noted is that Shad Khan, the owner of the Jaguars, has given Urban the largest coaching staff in the NFL, and they have given Urban every single thing he's asked for. They have stretching coaches for each individual position group, because I guess that's like a highly specialized thing. So they've spared no expense. NFL owners have ample money to spare and spend. Shad Khan made his fortune by inventing the uh, the car bumper that you can run into something at slow speeds and it gives. It doesn't get damaged. So Shad Khan, he sold that technology to other auto companies. He's a billionaire, billionaire, billionaire. He's not going to be spent into the poorhouse by Urban Meyer's uh, Urban Meyer's <laughs> investment in stretching coaches. But Shad Khan wants wins. He wants to win. So we'll see if they win. Urban will have, I'm sure, a year more than that to do well. They'd have to be epically bad. Number one draft pick overall bad again for him to get let go. I don't think he will let go, get let go. Not this year. Maybe not even next year, but we will see how long the leash is for Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Their offense right now is terrible. And uh, I don't know if Daryl Bevel, the former Wisconsin quarterback on Wisconsin's Rose Bowl championship team in 1993, former Vikings offensive coordinator. I don't know if Daryl Bevel and Urban Meyer will get it figured out on the offensive side. Travis Etienne is out for the year. That doesn't help them any. They got decent wide receivers. Offensive line is not very good. So Trevor Lawrence, if he doesn't get hurt, the Jags got a chance. If he gets hurt and they got to turn it over to Gardner Minshew, mm, I don't know about how that will work. I just pray that Urban leaves the quarterback run game out of his playbook because Trevor Lawrence is not there to run the zone read. I know Dabo did it with him. I know that helped Clemson beat Ohio State. That is not the way to prosperity in the National Football League. And I hope Urban does not try it. Your Cincinnati Bengals, ladies and gentlemen, play their exhibition finale on Sunday at 4 p.m. And it is on CBS, and it will feature Jolton Joe Burrow, who is coming back from an ACL injury. It's a good move by the Bengals to get Joe Burrow on the field before the regular season starts against the Minnesota Vikings because he needs to have enemy people diving around his knees and legs and getting used to that kind of contact. I like the fact that he is out there. The question is, who will be snapping Joe Burrow the ball? Will it be Billy Price, former number one overall pick, former Ohio State Buckeye, who I said would be a great pick by the Bengals, who has been so far an epic disappointment, somebody who people thought might get cut in the preseason, but Billy Price is playing well. He graded out very well in their second exhibition game, and a lot of people attribute this to the return to the Bengals of offensive line coach Frank Pollock, uh, Jim Turner came with Zach Taylor 
And Jim Turner did not love Billy Price, and I think the feeling was mutual. Pollock was there when Billy Price was drafted, so he obviously liked Billy Price. And that's a great thing for Billy Price. And if he would end up the Bengals' starting center and Michael Jackson is their starting guard, wow, that would help solidify things because uh, they've got, you know, Jonah... Jonah, what's that guy's the Jonah? Somebody from Alabama is their ta- one of their tackles, and they drafted Jackson Carmen, and they like Jackson Carmen, and they had a decent free agent signing, and so the, maybe the Bengals are building an offensive line around Joe Burrow, and maybe it'll have an Ohio State feel with Billy Price at center. That would be good for the Bengals rather than to have blown that pick, which for the first couple of years it certainly looked like the Bengals had blown that pick. Okay, with that, let me remind those of you who have businesses. You and another person, two people, you and 49 other persons, 50 people, anywhere in between those two continuums of two to 50 people, auiinfo.com specializes in helping you line up benefits. They'll do all the research. They'll give you all the costs. They'll give you the options. You then pick the team, the team, the provider, the benefits package, disability, life, health, dental, vision, any aspect or all aspects of that for your employees. Think of all the time you'll save not having to research that yourself. Think of the benefit to your employees of the HR training that auiinfo.com makes available to you free. Everything they do for you is free. Look them up. Check them out. auiinfo.com. auiinfo.com. You will thank me for introducing you to Chrissy, who is the rock star head of auiinfo.com. Okay faith portion of the podcast and then to our weekend we shall progress i shared a bit of this today on the air at the conclusion of my radio show on 98.9 the answer i did not get a chance to share all of this on the final segment of the show today on 98.9 the answer i want to talk a little bit about where we are as a country right now how we got here as a country and how we as christian men, Christian people, go forward in what is, in my lifetime, the first time I have questioned the future of our country. When I question the future of our country, I question the future of Christianity in this country. And that is something that I take very seriously because the Great Commission is to go into all the world Uh, teaching people to obey my commandments, Jesus' commandments, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to be my disciples. That is the Great Commission. That is the work order that Jesus left us with when he ascended to heaven. That is our job as Christians to reflect uh, his impact on our lives in such a way through our behavior, our attitudes, our voices, such that others would want in their life, the peace that we have and that we project. It's a tough time to project a peaceful attitude in America. It is a challenging time in America to be a Christian. For the first time in my lifetime, it is, I think, unpopular with a large segment of our population to be a Christian and to say that you order your life morally, spiritually, and in any other way according to the Bible. So, I have been impacted this week and to a great degree by the extremely tragic death of 13 U.S. servicemen in Afghanistan. I watched intently the president's comments 
on Thursday afternoon. This morning, I sat in my chair with my Bible in my lap, and I prayed, and I sat quietly, and I tried to make sense of these events from a spiritual perspective. And as I pondered what I saw play out on the television screen from Kabul yesterday, from Washington, D.C. yesterday, I thought about a day 20 years ago when I was leaving a meeting in London, Ohio, and I walked into a convenience store to get a drink. And a few minutes after 9 o'clock, the Today Show was still on. I knew that was unusual because I knew that the Today Show ended at 9 o'clock. The gentleman behind the counter told me that an airplane had just hit the World Trade Center and that another airplane had hit the other Trade Center. And I drove back to town, called my then very new wife, Sherry, on the phone from I-70. And I said, I don't know if I'm going to ever see you again because I did not know what, what our world would be like. That feeling of not knowing what our world would be like going forward is a feeling that I have right now. At a time where we are marshalling our efforts to get out of Afghanistan, which Thursday resulted in the tragic, extremely tragic death of 13 Marines. The beginning of that continuum on 9-11-2001 and the near end of that continuum on 8-26-2021 caused me to reflect on our response as a nation to 9-11. And I distinctly remember how America's churches were filled in ways they had not been filled in many years in the aftermath of 9-11. We had a period of national mourning in the aftermath of that attack and then we had a resolute coming together where we were intent upon pressing forward and we believed strongly in the values of our nation, including that our nation was on the right side, the side of right. We were on the side of righteousness. We had God on our side. I think we humbled ourselves back then. We took a hard introspective look at how we got to the point where people from another country would fly airplanes into iconic buildings and kill our citizens. And we were single-minded in our determination and belief that we were on the right side in that battle, that spiritual battle, that our enemies had perverted the will of God, and that we were going to defend freedom. And we were going to defend the freedom to worship God, to not kowtow to a perversion of God that discriminates against women and that believes that killing others is okay for unjustified reasons. So in that recognition of that moment, I was reading a portion of the book of Chronicles, which details 
King David's initial years as king of Israel. And everything King David touched in those days was blessed by God because everything King David did in those days, he sought the direction and blessing of God, either directly or through the prophet Nathan. Going into battle, should I go into battle? Will I win this battle? Will I lose this battle? He put God first in his life. David did not always put God first in his life, and the Bible is filled with many, many, many intimate details of David's epic failures as a father and as a leader and the consequences that he paid for that. The children of Israel, the Jews, throughout their time have been in selected periods of time, captives of other kingdoms and other countries. They have been persecuted. They are persecuted to this day. Those periods of persecution can be uh, a spirit of that type of desperation can be captured in many books of the Bible, but in one in particular, the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah 66 contains the following passage. Um, portions of verse 2, portion of verse 3, and then verse 4. This is the Lord talking here. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. They have chosen their, and then he goes on to talk about those who do not answer to that description, those who do not humble themselves, those who are not humble and contrite in spirit and do not tremble at his word. Of those people, God says, they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in abominations. So I also will choose harsh treatment for them and will bring upon them what they dread. For when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, no one listened. They did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. This is what I see in America 20 years ago and America now. 20 years ago, I saw a nation that esteemed God, that humbled ourselves before him, that was contrite in spirit, and that did tremble at his word. We went to church. We tried to uh, collect ourselves. And then we pressed forward in an effort to defend righteousness. What I see in our country now is a country that has chosen its own way, where many people delight in their abominations, and where I am not at all surprised, though I am deeply burdened by the fact that it appears to me that God has chosen harsh treatment for us and has brought upon us what we dread. And I think he has done that because when he spoke, we did not listen. And we have done evil in his sight, and we have chosen as a society what displeases him. Transgenderism, the elevation of immorality, the murder of innocent and unborn children, the hostility toward God. I see a nation that has turned its eyes away from him. And in Romans 1, verses 18 to the end of chapter 1, God talks about 
what he will do to a society that suppresses the truth. We have suppressed the truth in America. We have allowed the truth to be exchanged for a lie, that men can be women, that women can be men, on and on and on. We have. We have. So then I transition to the New Testament. And I happened upon a story in the Gospels where Jesus heals a demon-possessed boy. And his disciples were asked to heal the demon-possessed boy, and they couldn't do it. The father asked them to heal the demon-possessed child, and the disciples failed. And so Jesus came along, and he wanted to know, what's the trouble? Why don't you heal this kid? <laughs> and, and they were like, uh, well, the boy's father. Uh, so so here's, the, here's the interaction between Jesus and the boy's father in Mark 9, verse 21. Verse 20. Um. So they brought the boy to Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered. The, the demon has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can, Everything is possible for him who believes. And the boy's father responded, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit by saying, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The evil spirit shrieked, convulsed violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse, many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Then after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive that demon out? And Jesus replied, this kind of demon can come out only by prayer. What does this have to do with our country now? What does this have to do with Afghanistan? What does this have to do with 9-11? I may be making a leap here, but I don't feel like it's an accident that God put this on my heart today. Jesus says this kind of demon, what, a deaf and mute spirit, can only be eradicated by prayer. We have become, as a nation, deaf to the way Jesus called us to live. We don't love each other. We don't make an effort to understand each other. We don't forgive each other. We don't expect the best of each other. We don't tell each other the truth, and we don't stand for truth. It'll get us criticized. It'll get us canceled. It'll get us fired. It'll get us whatever. We don't 
stand for truth. We've become deaf to the truth of God. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to speak it. Likewise, the people in our country who do postulate for things that are not of God, they don't want to hear from God either. They're mute. They're deaf. They won't glorify his name. They're not going to speak his name. They're not going to acknowledge his existence, and they are deaf to the truth of God. So we've got deaf, mute people to God's design all over our country right now, in the church and outside the church. And Jesus says, this kind can come out only by prayer. He's giving us the avenue through which he wants us to respond to this incredibly disrespectful, arrogant, disobedient tone we have adopted in our country. He's telling us, I want those of you who aren't listening to me because you're deaf, those of you who aren't speaking for me because you're mute, I can fix it and I might fix it, but you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pray and seek my face and you are going to have to bend your will to mine. Because I don't know if the Taliban's going to rule the world, or China's going to rule the world, or the U.S. is going to rule the world. I don't know who's going to be around at the end. You can make all kinds of uh, um, allegories and conclusions about who's what country in Revelation and all that. But I know how it ends. And if you're a Christian, you know how it ends. It ends however God says it ends. And that's the side I'm going to be on. I'm going to be on his side. I'm going to speak for him. I'm going to listen for him. I'm going to say what I genuinely believe he wants me to say, and I'm going to act on what I genuinely believe I've heard him say and I don't mean audibly say, but lay on my heart. And the only way I can know that, the only way I can have any hope of knowing that, is by being in my Bible so he can make stories like this richly meaningful to me in my life. The same exact potential within the pages of the Bible for you. And so I challenge you to read it, to listen, to seek, and to try to serve God in this way. It will give you more peace for the unknown and, yes, frightening days that lie ahead. And it will give you untold rewards in eternity for desiring and committing to serving him with whatever breath he favors you with. And so that is where I, are, I am as we head into the weekend. I wish you a great weekend, and I will talk to you again on Monday here on the We Tackle Life podcast.